The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're doing something a bit different by having a look at a fast emerging tier one resources project in WA, the Mardi Salt and Potash project near the Pilbara coast between Karatha and Onslow. The company behind the project is BCI Minerals, which trades under the code BCI. It last traded at 59.5 cents for a market cap of $356 million. Now, well known as a pioneer in the iron industry for being the first junior to access the infrastructure of a major producer to develop a deposit, BCI continues to have exposure to the boom time pricing for iron ore through a royalty on production at the Iron Valley Mine in the central Pilbara, which is operated by Minerals Resources. Excitement around Mardi's Tier 1 potential and the impact of the boom time iron ore pricing on the Iron Valley royalty flows has made BCI a star performer in the last 12 months, with its share price rising more than 280%. Now, Marty is very much the focus today. It's not the usual, quote, let's make a metal discovery and develop its story we normally take a look at. But as Marty is a solar evaporation project, there are similarities. Think of the Indian Ocean as the resource base for the project, and the Pilbara's abundant sunshine and wind and low humidity as the minerals processing plant. From that, it can be said that although Rio and Japanese firms have been producing salt from evaporative projects in the Pilbara for 50 years, the Mardi project is coming to the market through BCI with the sort of ESG credentials that investors increasingly want from resource projects. And unlike the other Pilbara salt producers, Mardi will be producing potash for the Feed the World thematic as well. It's a big project with CapEx priced at more than $900 million. But as mentioned, it has tier one credentials, which was reflected in its assessed pre-tax MPV of $1.67 billion and annual EBITDA capacity of $260 million for a project life of more than 60 years. And just a reminder there that BCI's current market cap is $350 million or thereabouts. We have BCI Managing Director Alvain Forster with us today to bring us up to speed on the Marty story. Hi, Alvain. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Barry. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Great. Now, uh, Alvain, uh, Pilbara salt projects have been hidden away in Rio and Japanese firms for decades. So the investor knowledge base in Australia about the salt market is fairly limited. So before diving into the Marty project itself, can you give us uh, li- listeners a feel for the the high purity salt market. I I take it we're not talking about salt that goes on fish and chips, but rather high purity material destined to go to the Asian chemical industry. That's right, Barry. Um, Yes, salt is a very very interesting uh, commodity. I have to say a few years ago um, when BCI was still focusing on iron ore, um, I bought these tenements on the Pulbara coast for about $200,000 we noticed that there's this salt crust, a natural salt crust forming for about 30 kilometers on the mudflats. 
And uh, that was really the first time that we started considering whether, you know, salt could become uh, a commodity for us to look at. We've come a very long way since then in terms of uh, mm. the studies on the project, but more so we have come a very long way in studying the market and the industry. Uh, if um, current Rio Tinto investors, you know, look at the uh, annual report for Rio Tinto, they would see a few lines potentially mentioning salt, but that, that would be all they see. Mm. Um, we had to do a lot of work to understand the buyers and the producers of salt. The, the type of salt that you produce from these solar evaporation operations is, is really uh, 99.5% NACL purity. So as you indicated, it is, it is a higher purity than what uh, you would put on your fish and chips. <laughs> which, is, which is normally about a 99% NACL purity. So despite the good marketing that some so-called pink rock salt producers, uh, you know, um, run, mm -hmm. uh, this, is, this is a significantly higher, higher purity. Right. It's, um, salt is produced hundreds of millions of, of tons per year globally. But a big component of that actually goes into um, de-icing of roads in the, in the colder parts of the world in the northern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. um, only, only about uh, 30, 40% of it goes into the chemical industry, the chloralkali industry, where anything around us that, that, that's not wood really um, has a component of salt as the, as the input during the production process. And that goes for paper, glass, soaps, pharmaceuticals, even, even the tablets we use, 50% of that you know, it contains an element of salt. Um, it, it is just in everything we touch in the everyday environment contains uh, an element of this high-purity salt. Okay. Now, pricing is obviously... Uh opaque for the average investor. Uh, can you give us a feel for what the you know, Asian chemical industry historical prices might be for SOP and um, uh, SOP, better understood in this market, but uh, where you see uh, the SOP price at the moment. SOP being, sorry, a sulfide of potash, a fertiliser that will also be produced at the project. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so as you say, the Māori project will be the first large-scale salt project that will produce SOP, sulfate of potash fertilizer, as a byproduct from the waste material um, of the salt circuit. Um, salt, um, on a delivered basis into Asia, has sort of traded between 35 US dollars per ton and 75 US dollars per ton over the last 20 years. Um, shipping is a big um, input into that final delivered cost. So it's, it's very important that you not only, with most bulk commodities, get your production cost accurate, but that you also have a very uh, well-defined shipping, um, shipping strategy. So um, the interesting thing about the salt is that actually between that 35 and 75 US dollars per tonne, the, the cyclicality is actually much lower overall than um, many, many other commodities, including iron ore, copper, lithium um, that, that we've looked at. So both salt and SOP has a relatively low cyclical price movement 
um, compared to other commodities, which which makes it a more stable type of industrial commodity to invest in. Um, the other interesting thing with salt demand and salt pricing is that it is very closely correlated with GDP. And, and the reason for that is, is quite transparent that, you know, as I said, there's tens of thousands of industrial and consumer products that depend on, on salt as an input. So if there's a higher growth um, in certain areas, like in Asia in the last 20 years, then uh, there's obviously also a growth in, in the salt, um, salt demand. Now, the interesting thing is Australia has not capitalized over the last 20 years on this growth in salt demand. There's been no major expansion in Australia over that period of the Rio Tinto, Dampier Salt and Shark Bay of Mitsui. Um, India has capitalized on all that growth, basically, and, uh, and expanded their salt fields significantly over that period. Although the climate conditions um, are by no means as favorable in India, given the monsoon seasons and so on, mm. as what we have in the Pulbara. So um, that that makes uh, this opportunity, you know, very attractive uh, for us um, in in that regard. Mm, okay. Now, uh, optimization study uh, to the July twenty twenty DFS was released in April, and that's where we saw an increase in the MPV to uh, one point six seven billion, and the EBITDA by thirty percent to two hundred and sixty million. And we're talking about uh, quite large bulk scale, uh, 5.35 million tonnes per annum of uh, salt and uh, 140,000 tonnes per annum of salt. I was just wondering, not so much in the salt market, but in the salt market, will the, is the market uh, of a scale and a growth profile that can absorb that scale of production without dislocation? But yeah, we, we believe that um, in Asia, so our focus will, will be predominantly Asia, um, that is China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and, and Southeast Asia combined. Uh, we believe there's um, 20 to 30 million tons growth over the next decade. And, you know, our own production of 5 million tons is, is, is just an, a small component of that growth in demand that we see over the next decade. There are very few, very limited new large-scale salt projects that will come to fruition in that next 10 years. Um, we are monitoring all the potential new supply. Um, in Australia, very difficult for the existing players, not impossible, of course, but very difficult for them to expand given their historic footprints and, um, and potential environmental sensitivities where they located themselves um, 50 years and 40 years ago. Uh, so Australia, very limited. There's one or two new potential projects, but they are well behind us in, in the production um, timeline estimate. Uh, India has some potential, but again, India, like with the iron ore, India has a combination of a fairly low-grade salt, and then there's a component of competitive, uh, competitively uh, graded salt with Australia, but not to the scale that we see them uh, displacing some of the Mardi potential. 
Mm. I mentioned in my introduction, um, increasingly we're seeing investors uh, preferring to make an ESG uh, uh, compliant investment if they can over a non-ESG compliant investment. What sort of feedback are you getting on the ESG credentials of the Marty project? Yeah, as you, as you say, we've seen that that change happening dramatically over the last 12 months and even in, in the last three or four months, there's just more and more attention being paid to the, the potential new investors that we have contact with. And, and even our, our current major investors, uh, the three or four largest investors, they have clearly um, uh, indicated to us that um, they have... Uh, an interest uh, for BCI to develop the the carbon neutral position for the Mardi project as soon as as reasonably possible. So um, the Mardi project, as you said in your introduction, um, inexhaustible seawater resource. Um, we are pumping seawater into Pond One, and then over a twenty month period the seawater would um, move through the, the nine ponds and it would evaporate and become more salty as it evaporates. 99% of the energy in that evaporation process will come from um, natural sun and wind. Mm. Um, there's only 1% of the energy in the project needed to produce um, the produce the final SOP and salt pro, uh, products um, through the process plants and, and the conveyor belts on the jetty, uh, etc. Right. At the moment, that 1% uh, or about 15 megawatt, we are saying um, will come predominantly from natural gas, which um, the Dampier-Bunbury gas pipeline runs uh, directly next to our project. So the gas price that we can buy uh, is fairly low. So initially, we anticipate uh, the, the base case design is that we will use gas and supplemented by diesel. However, we are in the process um, working with partners in performance consultants to um, eliminate the diesel usage and reduce the gas usage usage to the point that within a 10-year period that we will become completely 100% carbon neutral from the project. So that 1% um, that we use um, non-renewable resources currently will also be uh, eliminated. Uh, so it is, it is doable. The initial um, studies indicate it is doable within uh, an acceptable economic and practical Envelope, um, and we hope to make that part of the, the, the Mardi final investment decision. Right. Okay. Now, while that will obviously give everyone a warm feeling uh, in terms of uh, ESG investment, I was just wondering, though, uh, looking at the costs, what, what's the? Exp uh, I think uh, the salt prices average about US fifty dollars a ton over the last twenty years. Where do you see the project positioning on the cost curve? We will be um, very competitively positioned with only the salt um, product by itself will be um, in, in the lower 50% uh, of total um, global or, or, or the competitive 
what we say, um, the market where we will uh, compete in, we will be in the, in the lowest 50% of produce, producers. Um, with this SOP product added to the salt and, and, and considered as a byproduct, as you often see in this multi-commodity mines, mm-hmm. we will be one of the lowest, um, probably one of the three lowest cost producers globally. Um, that will become very important for us should there be you know, a downturn or a, a lower demand during the next 100 years uh, to maintain a healthy EBITDA in the project. Right. Now, the company has set a, a final investment decision by mid-2021 with construction to start in, in the December quarter. Is that uh, still the case? And given the capital cost, what are the funding plans? It is certainly still uh, the case. We are um, working very hard um, in the BCI team with the board to um, to realize that FID date. Now, companies um, often have very different interpretations of FID. In our case, the FID is really the trigger for us, the mandate that the board is giving the company to say, look, we have absolute confidence on approvals, tenure, um, market funding, etc. So we are making the FID decision, and then the company will go out and raise the the new equity required from the market to uh, to start main construction. So that is that is the aim. Um, we have a certain set of board criteria that we're working through, uh, ticking the boxes one by one. Um, the $1.1 billion of funding needed, broadly speaking, about $700 million of that will come from debt, of which the major component of the debt we have secured via the North Australian Infrastructure Facility. That's the federal government's facility for large uh, projects in the northern part of Australia. That's the second largest um, loan from NAFE to any company in Australia and the largest in WA um, ever um, from, from the NAFE facility. Hmm. Um, so that it is, it is not a grant, it's a loan. It is on competitive uh, commercial uh, terms with interest rates, etc. But the benefit from that loan is that it is over a very long payback period of 15 years as opposed to bank debt that needs to be repaid within four or five years. So that fits exactly the type of commodity that we're talking about. A long-term salt project takes us four years to get into cash flow, um, but then there's 100 years of EBITDA after that. So we need more patience from Mm. the facilities. Yeah. Uh, on the equity side, um, we would need about $400 million of equity. Um, currently, our cash in the bank is around $100 million. Um, we expect a very, very healthy iron value royalty quarter. So by July, when we receive the next payment from Minres, um, we expect to, to get a significant a new record quarter. Basically, we're expecting from iron value. And um, so between that cash in the bank, ongoing iron value royalties and new equity raised by uh, August, September, 
we expect to um, to fill that four hundred million dollars uh, with great confidence. Mm. Yeah, it's nice to have that uh, royalty uh, kicking in to help with the funding plans, um, particularly with iron ore at two hundred and twenty dollars a ton or thereabouts. All right. Uh, yeah, just finally, I, I noticed. Uh, you snared the services of uh, Chris Salisbury. We were talking about Rio Tinto before. I understand Chris um, is coming on as a, as a non-exec director, but obviously bringing his dampier salt at Rio Tinto experience on board and his his uh, experience of operating in the Pilbara on the uh, Rio's iron ore business. Yes, absolutely. We are delighted uh, that Chris Chris showed interest to join us. Chris, um, immediately in the last few weeks, um, already working very productively with me, Chris will be the chair of the sustainability committee um, in the company and, um, you know, experiences and and, and potentially scars that he Mm -hmm. carried uh, into the company, you know, will make sure that BCI follows absolutely best practice on on, um, our environment, heritage, governance-related matters. So very happy to uh, to have him on board. More importantly, Chris, very very deep operational experience, um, which is becoming important for uh, contracting decisions we are making um, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. And then Chris was also uh, during his time with Rio for a while um, head of of Rio in, uh, of Japan of the Japan desk, and um, that is obviously in the current geopolitical environment very important for us to build positive relationships um, f- with uh, the Japanese players and, and Chris um, brings that to the company. In addition to obviously Richard Court, who was um, Australia's ambassador in Tokyo for four years until last year, mm-hmm. also very strong uh, Japanese and, and in general Asian experience. So um, yeah, we are we are building a, a very strong board. Um, we have appointed um, one of uh, the resource industry's uh, top operational people recently. Jim Cooper joined us as our GM operations. He's run the whole of Dampier Salt, three operations of Dampier Salt. So we are we are definitely building that capability to be able to become a, a globally significant industrial minerals player in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, folks, we'll have to wrap it up there. But uh, fascinating to hear about a a tier one resources project in the making. Um, as to the uh, issue of uh, is the company properly priced at the moment for that, I'll leave it to the company's website where they uh, do list the broker reports on the uh, the company and the projects and uh, share price targets, etc. All very interesting reading, so I suggest people go and have a look at the company's website, which uh, apart from anything else will give you a, uh, a deep understanding of the salt market too. So with that, I'll say thanks, Alvain, and uh, best of luck with it all. We'll be watching with interest. Thank you very much, Barry.